We just can't stop singing in his praises. Amen. Well, I have the privilege this morning of reading the word of God to you. And uh, you're invited to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 18. I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. It's the newest version, the newest uh, translation, uh, word for word translation. Beginning in verse one, uh, verse one. Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be glorified by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, as, all, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is the reading from God's inerrant, infallible, and wholly inspired Word of God. Good morning. If you're... um Joining us for the first time this morning, a couple of things. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. And uh, you need to know that we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We begin this morning uh, with Matthew 6, kind of the middle part, by by chapter heading anyway, of uh, this amazing uh, word from our Lord. And, And the scripture that was just read... Uh, compels us to ask ourselves some questions before we even jump into it. 
One question might be, why am I here this morning? I mean, what, what is my participation in this religious gathering uh, really all about? Is this an offering to my king? My love for Jesus. I'm here to gather with God's people and hear from God in his word because I love my king. I love my Jesus. Or am I here to appear to others that I'm religious? Or so that I don't lose that feeling within myself that I'm a religious person when I come to this place and gather in this way? Am I, am I here for me, for, for what I can get out of it? Doing what I'm doing right now, singing and praying and, and listening. Um, other things are happening in the building on a Sunday, serving and teaching. You, you get the idea. What, what's the why behind it? When, it? when you go to your small group meetings during the week, do you, do you go to a small group meeting? Yes. Why? Why do you go? Why do you participate in these things? Is it because it would be be socially awkward to not go or, or, or to stop going? Or is it an expression of your love for the king, for Jesus and his people, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Matthew 6 searches us in that way. It brings us face to face with ourselves. What do we see? As we peer into the mirror, that is God's word. Those of us who teach and preach and and lead publicly, myself included, is it because it's gratifying to have an audience? It feels good uh, to, to have people look to you at some level for an answer to this or that or the other thing? Or is it because we love our king? We love Jesus. And we love to be able to use the gifts that he has given to all of his people that we might bring him glory, that we might edify others in the body of Christ. Well, that basic question of motive in religion it is what surfaces. It's really at the heart of Jesus' teaching here in um, the, this middle section of the Sermon on the Mount. So th- those of you children who are using a, a listening guide, uh, you, you could even draw a picture of somebody who's just full of joy to be with God's people. They love Jesus. They want to be here. Uh, or you could draw a picture of somebody who's kind of just wondering when it's all going to end. How, wh- wh- how long is this guy going to go? You know, that sort of thing. Why I do religious things matters more than what religious things I do. Now, that's the whole sermon, basically. But as you know, I'll use my time. (laughs) I don't want you to be troubled. We're not going to deal with all 18 verses of of Matthew, the first 18 verses of Matthew 6 this morning. We're going to spend most of our time in verses 1 through 4. And even at that, we'll spend most of that time in verse 1. Turns out if you get verse 1 right in Matthew 6, you, you get the rest of it right. And so let's, let's just look at these, these first four verses. Matthew 6, verse 1. 
Jesus says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, note that, will himself reward you openly. Now let's, let's just remember together where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, in his gospel, presents to us God's anointed king, Jesus. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. And so Matthew's gospel is, is all to do with the king, Jesus, and his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is here, Jesus says. And Matthew has told us that this, this kingdom is breaking into humanity even now. The kingdom of heaven is present right now in the hearts of every person within whom Christ reigns as king. Is that you? Is Jesus your king? And in this Sermon on the Mount, King Jesus has begun to describe now the nature of those who belong to his kingdom. Who are the king's blessed people? Or we might say, who are these Christians? What are they like? What is their nature? Are they just like all the other religious people in the world? Because most people on planet Earth are religious. Did you know that? Well, remember the Beatitudes back in Matthew 5. The Beatitudes told us that the king's people, saved people, are those who have had their fill trying to satisfy God on their own. They're tired of trying to make themselves right with God, whether it's by going to a church service or any other religious thing. And these people, the king's people, mourn over their sinfulness and they hunger for a righteousness that is, that, that is not within them. They cannot attain. And they turn in, in repentance and faith, allegiance, we could call it, to King Jesus. This is a miracle, a work of the Spirit of God, the new birth. And what happens by God's grace, his own righteousness is imputed to his people. A perfect righteousness, not native to them, from outside of them, is imputed to them, credited to them, if you will. And they are satisfied. Are you satisfied in the righteousness of Christ for you? Are you still trying to work enough of it yourself to somehow get right with God? Oh, be done with that. Turn to Christ. And it's this satisfaction in the king. Pay attention. We're going in a direction. Don't look so concerned. Um, it's this satisfaction in the king. Grateful affection for the king. 
that compels his people to live for him. This Sermon on the Mount is all about life in the kingdom. What's it like? What motivates it? What does it look like? God's people don't live for Jesus for show. They don't live for Jesus simply for self-fulfillment, although it is fulfilling. But out of devotion and delight in Christ's saving work for them and his steady, faithful presence with them. For the wonder of knowing him and belonging to him and, and all of his people in his everlasting kingdom. Kingdom people, Christians in that sense, have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, the professional religious guys of Jesus' day. In what sense? Because Christian righteousness is not fake. It's not for show. It flows from a pure heart. It flows from a single-minded devotion to Christ. Ours is not a righteousness done for show, a, a, a mere performance. And that last statement is really the thrust of chapter 6, and so that's really the beginning of the sermon, isn't it? You stop your watch and then restart it. <laughs> Jesus is contrasting the religion that flows from a true heart of devotion to the king uh, to, the, to the false heart of religious performance, hypocrisy, okay? Here's the big idea. The genuine Christian life is a Godward life. The genuine Christian life is a Godward life. What do I mean by that? It's not a life that merely looks religious to impress other people or, or to gratify self. No, it's a Godward life. The life that flows from the new birth. You're still listening. As I mentioned earlier, verse 1 of Matthew 6 is really the key to the whole thing. Uh, so we're going to take a little bit of time with it. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Notice the phrase charitable deeds. Um, when uh, our, our brother Dave Coldy was reading, uh, you notice that that is different in the Legacy Standard Bible. turns out it's different in, in most other Bibles other than the, than the King James um, most good translations of the Bible use the word righteousness. So the idea is beware of doing your righteousness or practicing your righteousness before other people. Now don't be troubled by that. It's just that older manuscripts render verse 1 with this general word for righteousness, not specifically giving, not yet, but just righteousness in general. Any righteous act, any outwardly um, righteous act, okay? Going to church, leading a small group, uh, playing an instrument uh, uh, for, for the times of worship among God's people, helping a neighbor, evangelism, you get the idea. You want me to keep going or do you have the idea? You have the idea. Jesus is referring in verse 1 to the kinds of righteous acts that are represented by things like giving in verse 2 or praying as in verse 5 
Or um, uh, if we read through verse 18, uh, fasting is mentioned in Matthew 6, 16. So so disciples' lives are, are full of religious activity. That's a normal thing. Religious duties, if you will. That's normal Christianity. Taking communion, praying, serving others, giving financially, giving your time, using your abilities. That should be the case in every believer's life. But the caution is what? Even those right things can be done for wrong motives. How many of you know right things can be done for wrong reasons? So it's the why we do these things. What's the motive behind? These things. Listen, you don't even have to be a regenerate person to do religious stuff, to put before others a phony, a showy religion, a religion of performance. In fact, the unregenerate heart often delights in, re- in, in religious performance. That's very common. Cain comes to mind, don't you think? Judas comes to mind. Cain liked the appearance of offering something that was pleasing to God far more than he liked actually doing so. So he didn't. Judas got to hear everybody say as he walked past, man, there goes one of the master's key people. I mean, he's in the inner circle there, that Judas fellow. And yet, obviously, Judas worshipped himself, didn't he? The scribes and Pharisees clearly are on Jesus' mind as he teaches his disciples about life in his kingdom. And so, verse 1 gives us this general principle that's going to carry through the first half of the chapter. The genuine Christian life is a Godward life. And then this, this general principle gets applied to things like giving and praying and fasting or self-denial. So, so here's another general principle. All of life is lived before God. All of life is lived before God. The Christian life is not a segmented life like an orange. This is the, this is the, part, this is the God part. And then there's all these other segments. That's the, that's the other part. No, all of life is lived before God. When that entire passage was read earlier, you probably noticed a repetition, difficult to miss. Verse 4, your father who sees in secret. Verse 6, your father who sees in secret. And then as we'll see later, verse 18, your father who sees in secret. All of my life as a believer is lived before God. God sees all and knows all. My motives are laid bare before God who who knows the truth about all things. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipresent, meaning he's, he's everywhere fully all at once. You say, well, what's that like? It's like nothing else. It's like God. 
even in that private place where my motives find harbor, my heart, the Father sees my true motives. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The Lord pondering my paths even right now, yours too. Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And King Jesus says to his people, the Father rewards all that is done for him from a pure heart, whether anyone else sees it or not. And the Father rewards nothing done simply to win attention and admiration from others or or to gratify self. So religious duties, this is not a passage that says you shouldn't, be involved in religious duties. Of course we're involved in religious duties or practices, if you will. It's just that the king sees the true motives behind all of my religious activities. Nobody else does. God does. Now let's just stop and consider why Jesus gives disciples a warning like this. Because it, you still with me? Because because it could, it, it could be that someone will say to you, "Well, wait a minute. He's really just dealing with the scribes and Pharisees right now. He's taking taking shots at the posers." And and but but as you read the text, you realize this. He uses the word "you." Well, who's who's this "you"? Well, it, it's it's his disciples gathered around the master on this mountainside in Galilee. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. That, that, that word that, that is translated, take heed, you know, be on guard against this tendency. Uh, pay attention to this. I would submit to you that when the king says to his people, pay attention, be on guard, that would be a cue for us to sit up straight and be attentive that this is to do with me. I'm one of the king's people. And, and the verb here is in the present tense the, and, and the active tense. In other words, always be taking heed. Always be one who's being careful about this pitfall. What, what is the pitfall? We're meant to be those who, who keep on being mindful how, of how easy it would be to do religious stuff for others. As a performance, or, or or for myself, keep on being careful to offer your religion to God alone. In other words, yesterday's sincerity is no guarantee guarantee that today you will offer your religion with that sincerity to the Lord. Really, really, why? I mean, why do we need this warning about religion as a show? By nature, in Adam, we all are experts in the field of pleasing people. Have you noticed that? 
We, by nature, we, we want to please people. Do you know why that is? Because by nature, we're big fans of ourselves. And we'd like others to be in the fan club with us. Right? We, we, we love for people to notice how good a Christian parent we are. What, what a devout teenager we are. How committed we are to this ministry or that other act of service. And it's easy to turn acts of worship into self-worship. Religious activity that is done really for us, not for God. And this besetting tendency in fallen man uh, has, goes in a lot of different directions, probably hundreds of different directions. Let me just give you a quick example. You still with me? Yes. In our consumer-driven culture, do you realize that sinful man will even look at the activities of the body of Christ with a consumer mindset? I have certain expectations for myself, for my family. Am I getting what I want out of this? Is this serving me the way it ought to be serving me? Aren't you glad you've never had such thoughts? You're praying for the people who think that way, aren't you? And if we're not careful, those types of attitudes can render even our church going an act of self-worship. We're consumers when we have that mindset. So the king calls me to be on guard against this natural tendency as I'm being sanctified. That's the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus that's getting chipped off before I go home. Notice in verse 2, and we're making tremendous progress, aren't we? Notice in verse 2, the assumption that Jesus makes about his kingdom people. He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, now this is now the first illustration or, or example that comes under this heading of righteousness, public righteousness. And it's to do with giving, isn't it? Giving to the needs of others or charity. Notice, though, that the assumption is what? The king assumes his people give. This isn't graduate-level Christianity. This is just what it looks like to be one of the king's people. It's not if you give, but, but when you give. So, so the king's answer to the caution of verse 1, be careful about motives, um, isn't for us to say, well, I, I, you know, I just don't really give at all because I'm not really feeling it, this, this right motive thing, so I'm just, I'm just going to back off. No, the assumption is that God's people give. In fact, in the heart of all within whom Christ reigns at, as king, they're givers to others in need. They're givers to the cause of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we've been taught from the heart that everything I have has been given to me from God. I don't actually own anything. I'm a steward of all of God's stuff so that when God wants to move his stuff around, he's free to move it. 
It's not mine anyway. Now that's not even part of the sermon. That's extra. <laughs> but, but you notice in verse 2 the, the, the caution, you know, not to toot your own horn, so to speak. Um, it is more than likely hyperbole that the Pharisees didn't literally sound trumpets uh, when they gave. And you will find commentaries that say, well, there were trumpets that were sounded when it was time to give, you know, distribute alms to the poor, that sort of thing. What we've seen in Jesus' teaching is that he's, he's glad to use hyperbole to exaggerate to help us understand. If your right hands offend you, hand offends you, do what? Surely he's not teaching us to cut our hands off. It got our attention, didn't it? Don't toot your own horn. These Pharisees and these scribes, like all people, surely had developed subtle and not so subtle ways of making sure people saw how religious they appeared. We get really good at that, don't we? Or I should say, people we know really well are, are good at that. Just kind of worming your way into there, figuring out how to make it clear. That, oh, look, you, you did that? Wow. Wow. And notice that the hypocrite's motive is what? To gain glory from others, not to give glory to God. It's all about self, right? Glory-seeking, self-seeking is a primary attribute of man apart from God. This is unredeemed man. Who does this by nature? God told his people Israel that their idolatrous, idolatrous hearts were simply proof of, of that age-old tendency to turn even religion into a form of, of self-worship. Listen to Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. My glory I will not give to another. You fast forward in history to the time of Jesus and that same basic human tendency is still offending God. The, the Pharisees really personified what that looked like to, to rob God of his glory by sticking themselves in there. Luke tells us this in, in his gospel. Jesus, Jesus said this to the Pharisees. He said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So, so self-seeking, self-pleasing, you know, showmanship in religion isn't just the, the lesser of two options. The scripture says it nauseates God. It's, it's an abomination to God. Again, the words of Jesus, John 5, 44, he's speaking directly of the Pharisees now. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Don't, don't miss that. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in, John, in John's gospel, if your religion is only about you, if, if it's always about you, um, you don't know the king anyway. You're not a saved person. Man, by nature, is very religious. Travel the world today. 
And you don't find people who are completely without religion. You find people who have come up with their, their own myriad ways of worshiping themselves, though they never call it that. The Puritan Matthew Mead um, puts it this way. He says, A man may be much in obedience from sinister and base selfish ends. Most of the hypocrite's piety empties itself into vain glory, and therefore he is but an empty vine in all he does, because he bringeth forth fruit to himself. Do you notice back in Matthew 6, verse 2, um, the hypocrites give that they may receive glory from men, but they actually do receive a reward. Did you notice that? What is the reward for man-pleasing, or self-pleasing, if you will? Well, you wanted to be seen by others. You got seen by others. That's your reward. It ends there. You got what you sought. You were noticed. That's all. You did that to get 100 likes on Facebook or Instagram. You got that. Good. That's your reward. You stood up there so that other people could nod their heads and smile and think happy thoughts about you. Good. You, you have your reward. That religious act, though, had no kingdom value, no eternal value at all. It's utterly earthbound, and it doesn't please God. It makes him sick. Pam and I were at a fundraising banquet with some friends a few weeks ago, or maybe it was years ago, I don't know, but it, it was in the past, I know that. And... Um, this fundraiser was set up so that people would bid against one another. Um, and it was, and it was, there was no malice in it. It was all fun, uh, in, a, in a sense. Um, but pretty soon, you know how these things go. Pretty soon we're down to the last two or three bidders. And, and the audience is gasping as the amounts that are bid keep going up and up and up. And finally, you know, the gavel uh, strikes the uh, whatever it was that was stricken. And, um, and it's all over, and, and, and everybody now knows that Joe and, and Josephina Smith um, won the bid, and, and they donated so much, and aren't, aren't they just swell? What a challenge it would be in a setting like that to be giving strictly for the Lord's work, not simply for attention in admiration from others. And the organizers of events like that, whether they realize it or not, are playing on the base instincts of people to want to be noticed, to want to have another notch in the belt when it comes to being generous in giving. And frankly, it's as wrong to appeal to wrong motives as, as it is to have the wrong motives themselves. Does that make sense to you? I mean, why would we invite others to play that up when our Lord tells us, my people don't act like that? John MacArthur 
in his commentary on Matthew, says this. He says, when I make a point of doing publicly what I could easily do privately, I behave like a hypocrite, not one of God's children. So the, the salient test then would be what? Would I still do this if no one ever knew that I did it? That, that's really the idea behind verse 3. Still making rapid progress, right? Verse 3. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, this is hyperbole. Um, your left hand doesn't have eyes to see what the right hand is doing or a brain to make sense of any of it, right? It's, it's, it's hyperbole. But it, but it slows us down. Here's, here's what it means. Not only should I guard against this sinful tendency to want to be seen a certain way by others, um, I should be guarding against this tendency to keep track myself so that I might think too highly of myself, whether anybody else does or not. Boy, how generous am I. I mean, they don't, I wasn't the winning bidder, but they don't know that I, you know, quietly, piously gave. I'll just add that to the mental scorecard that I keep. Do you have a mental scorecard? Somebody you know really well does, where we keep track of stuff that makes us feel good. Every time you give, says Jesus, count it as a reminder of your freedom from the power of money and your, your trust in him alone to provide. You're, you're the steward of what he has given to you. If all that I have belongs to the king, do I really have cause to boast when the king wants to move his stuff? Do you mind being encouraged, though? And we'll go back to the other stuff. <laughs> because God sees all my acts of devotion, there's no need to keep score for others or even for myself. As we are sanctified, God is growing in us the joy of self-forgetfulness. Let God keep score. Now let me just address a couple of things before we close that might be points of confusion. The first thing is this. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to shine. You're like that city on a hill. In fact, don't, don't put the light of the gospel under a basket. Remember that? Let your light so shine before men, Matthew 5, 16, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't do your good works openly to be seen. Which is it? Well, it's a question of motive, isn't it? In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus has just said to his disciples, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so, so don't, for the sake of cowardice, shrink back and hide your allegiance to the king. Let, let the gospel light shine. That this is the witness of God's people in the world. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus is dealing with something completely different. It's the temptation toward vainglory. Stealing from God. The, the glory that God alone is due. D- does that make sense? Secondly, this also might cause confusion. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be seen to giving. You're thinking, oh my goodness, in, in, a, in an earlier life, I uh, attended a church where they took a public offering. Was that wrong? People saw me put money in the plate. Is it, do I need to repent of that? No. Not unless it was on your heart to be seen by everybody putting your stuff in the, in the thing. Right? It, it's to do with motive. Of course you're going to be seen doing religious things. You're looking at me right now. Some of you are still listening to me right now. But not all of you. But, but here's the thing. What, what's the motive? That's the issue. Why? I love my king. And of course I want people to see in me through my obedience to the king that this king is the only king worthy of, fall, of being followed. I'm not going to hide that from my neighbors, from my, from my classmates. I'm not going to hide that at the, at the family reunion. But I also don't want to become the centerpiece in anything that's religious, so to speak, because God is the centerpiece. He, he is the glorious one. Notice the pure motive Jesus gives in verse 4. And we're nearing the end here now, aren't we? Notice the pure motive that Jesus gives in verse 4. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. The word reward, do you write in your Bibles? If you don't, write this in your neighbor's Bible, all right? Because they should. Um, The word reward in verse 4 it translates a, a different Greek word than, than the word that is also translated reward in verses 1 and 2. You don't, you don't pick up on it in English. Uh, in verses 1 and 2, Jesus is talking about uh, what you and I would call pay. You know, it's, it's a paycheck. Hey, if you did something good for the reward of other people seeing you do something good, you get your pay. People saw it. There you go. That's it. Here in verse 4, the Greek word isn't talking about a paycheck, something you're owed from God. How many of you know God owes you nothing and yet gives you everything? God owes me nothing. It's talking about what God himself delights to give in extra measure, all by his grace. Praise God that there is a day coming when everything we have done for God's glory will be announced openly for his glory. A day is coming when the saints hear from their king, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, nobody saw it in this life. 
Nobody even knows about it. And will that matter? Not a bit. Not a bit. What grace, what, what lavish favor awaits God's people for every single thing we've done with the enablement he's provided in the first place. What a scandal is the gospel. When our journey through this wilderness is over and our king returns to rule his world and reign with his people, do you look forward to that? I mean, is that in your thoughts as you bump around in daily life? How can it not be? Our best days are ahead of us. When that day comes, our rewards will be eternal and pure, infinitely greater than the impure reward of unwarranted admiration and fleeting praise from other people. Think of that. All that the scribes and Pharisees did their whole lives as professional religious people. All the stuff that they did that caused others to point to them and say, wow, how devout are they? How religious are they? I mean, that, that's, the, that's graduate level faith right there. Jesus describes this later in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he, he will say to such, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. What, what a sobering truth this is from the king who sees all things, who knows all things. In this Christian life, when you are honestly offering your devotion to God, it's easy to feel sometimes that it's, maybe unnoticed isn't the right word, but, but does it matter, right? Is it consequential? And the enemy is happy to whisper to you the lie that it is inconsequential. Especially if you start Comparing yourself to others. Do you ever do that? Do you know somebody who does that? That's torture, isn't it? And the enemy even whispers to us about our motives. How many of you know we sometimes feel something that you could call a mixed motive? Does that make sense? How do you sort that all out? Here, here's what we do. The only person who ever lived on planet Earth to serve God with, with a pure motive, without mixture, I mean, is Jesus Christ. He is perfect in his righteousness. Never had competing motives other than the glory of the Father. And he has come and he's paid for all of our uncleanness. Do you believe this? And as we recite this gospel to ourselves every day, and we need to, he fuels in us a religion that is to do with God, that, that, that does flow from love for the Father. 
imperfect as we are. And we see that he is so deeply satisfying. I don't have to use religion for me. You don't have to use church for you. And our pitiful works are accepted. How how are they accepted? All of our imperfect works, he washes. And he offers our pittance to the Father with his own nail-scarred hands. And the Father is pleased. You say, what's that like? Well, it's like nothing else. But it made me think of this. In my office, there's something that you would like to see. And it's not the candy dish. I've told you about the candy dish. And there's not enough for all of you, so you do it on a weekday. But um, I have these wonderful drawings from my grandchildren. Have I mentioned that we have grandchildren? And and someone came into my office last week, and I was pointing with great joy to a drawing from one of my grandsons, and um, nobody knows what it is, but um, (laughs) he's five, right? And, uh, but I, I wouldn't sell it to you, not a chance. Do you think the father delights in the works of his children? done for love's sake, imperfect as they are? Well, so our king's answer to the enemy's lie is right here in Matthew 6, 4. Your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. God's reward is completely disproportional. Think of it. An, An eternal inheritance for God's kids set up against some earthly pittance of being seen by others of being self-gratified with a performance of religion there's there's no comparison is there how great is the reward when its source is God when its measure is grace and its value is eternal. Well, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the work of your son for us. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your righteousness imputed to us. We thank you for reminding us in this sermon, your words, that your Imputed righteousness is progressively an imparted righteousness. You're making us more and more like you. And Lord, where would we look other than to you to see what self-forgetful humanity looks like? Just to see what a life lived for the glory of the Father is. Lord, we want that life. And so we pray for it. We pray that you would find us cooperative as you do that work, as you see all and you see our motives, Lord, that you would do that work of making us more like our King. And we ask you this, that he might be glorified. Lord, that your kingdom would grow not just around us here in Hayden, but that your kingdom would grow within us. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.